Ready? Hey, it's Sarah coming to you from the Sports and Spiritual Library here in Verona in my, uh, in my apartment. And we have a uh, track of pride book I'm going to read from. I'm going to for the pack of pride book and uh, Green Bay's uh, Leroy Butler, Green Bay Greats, uh, and Leroy Butler and uh, Rob Reichel, the guy that authored, but the forward is by the great Willie Davis. So, let me do it on Tim Harris. And it's Tim Harris love to talk on the football field. Spun his imaginary six shooters, he riled up trials and opponents alike. Harris drove some people nuts. Others simply laughed off his verbal exploits. The one thing Harris always did was back it up. Harris played just five years in Green Bay, but in that time, the right outside linebacker compiled 55 sacks, which ranks him third. In team history behind only Kabir Bahabiamila and Reggie White. Here's 19 and a half sacks in 1989 remains a team record. And his 13 and a half sacks in 88 ranks fifth in team history. I take a lot of pride in that, Harris said. Every time I got a sack, that was a good moment. Harris had plenty of good moments in Packer uniform. When Harris entered the 1986 NFL Draft, scouts were torn on him. Harris ran a 40-yard dash in a mediocre 4.8, leaving questions about his agility to run well enough to play a linebacker. Harris weighed just 235 pounds, making him too small to play defensive end. Harris was still on the board in the fourth round, and the Green Bay was thrilled to select him in that spot. Harris fit perfectly on the side linebacker and Forrest Gregg's 3-4 defense. Harris had a unique way to get to the quarterback so the Packers could turn him loose on passing towns. I wasn't fast, Harris said, but I played a lot faster than I, than I timed. You get out of bed at 9 o'clock a.m. and have to run a 40? That's hard to do. But I fit in right into what people wanted to do on defense. That's for sure. Harris led the Packers with 18 sacks as a rookie and led the team his other four seasons as well. Harris was downright dominant in late 1980s, notching 33 sacks during the 88-89 season. Harris was named to the Pro Bowl in 89 and was named All-Pro by several outlets after both 88 and 89 success. They taught me about how to play football in Green Bay, Harris said. I liked it there. We didn't win enough, but I liked it. It showed. Harris was as vocal and demonstrative as any Packer players during his era. He told offensive players he was coming for them, then delivered. He celebrated big plays by turning his hands into the imaginary guns. He played with a youthful exuberance that escapes many players when they reach the sport's highest level. I wasn't a hot dog at all, but it was also my time to express myself, have a little fun, and things really went well. 
That probably didn't always sit the best with some of the teams we played against. Lutz was never any disrespect, I was just having fun. Unfortunately for the Packers, Air spun in Green Bay was short-lived. After the 1990 season, Air's contract was up. He and then general manager Tom Broskin come to an agreement. Air said he was asking for $900,000 a year and Bosch was one bunch from $600,000. He was all these, he was paying all these offensive linemen that much. The same guys I was whipping in practice every day. I thought I had deserve that much. So, Harris outlaws he started the 91 campaign finally after four games. Watts had enough and dealt Harris to the 49ers for a pair of second round picks. Ironically, one of those second round picks was later dealt back to the 49ers for head coach, Michael Holmes. <coughs> the other was used to move up and draft safety George Teague in 1993. Tom Bronson, I never could get along here, said, I really didn't want to leave, but San Francisco wasn't a bad place. There, weren't, there wasn't any snow, and I got my Super Bowl ring. Yeah, he did. Harris played 91 and 92 seasons with San Francisco. Then one year in Philadelphia before returning to the 49ers for two more years. If Bronson took back, West proved a, way, a wise one. And San Diego captured the 94th Super Bowl with a 49-26 run of San Diego. I liked how they approached things here instead of the 49ers. We never practiced in pads. We didn't hit each other during the week. We saved that for the other teams on Sundays. And we beat everybody up on else on the weekend. Harris certainly beat the share of offensive linemen. Am I a Packer fan? Any Packer fan that remembers Harris in his prime can't help but smile. Those were the good days, man. Harris said it was Packers time in Green Bay. They really were. I like Green Bay. I really did. But I just had to move on. And I was going to get what I thought was fair money. I wish I didn't have to be that way. But what can you do? At the end of the day, it's all business. Well, that was awesome. And it reminds me of uh, being in one of Madison's hot spots around here and having some having some drinks with a bunch of the Packers. They just made up a basketball game. And uh, it was funny because Tim Harris is one of them. So I called, uh, I called my brother and uh, I told him, yeah, it was on a cell, it was on a pay phone back then. I told him who I was, who I was drinking with. <laughs> he, he's like, you better, he said he couldn't believe it. He just, he could not believe it. And he was like, he thought, he thought Josh and him or whatever, but anyways. So anyway, that was the Chin Harris story. And yeah, he's, he was, uh, he's pretty awesome. He's fun, he was fun only in 1989 season. So, but he was a force. He was a force. So, the next guy I'm going to read is (coughs) 
Alright, this is a chapter called In the Box. And, uh. <coughs> excuse me. The next man is. You know, I've never even heard of this guy before. So, we're going to read about John Martinkovic. Oh, of course. John Martinkovic <laughs> was a wide-eyed rookie drafted by Washington Redskins and thrilled to be playing in the seat in the nation's capital. A defensive end was at Mobile, Alabama getting ready to play an exhibition game. Before the game, though, someone in the organization came to Martinkovic and told him he'd been traded to Green Bay. The first thing I said was, where the hell is Green Bay? Martinkovic said. That was in the summer of 1951. Now more than six decade, decades later, Martinkovic still lives in the city and he couldn't even identify on a map all those years ago. In fact, Martinkovic and his wife Claire are in the same home they bought in 1955 and raised their four daughters. There hasn't been a big reason to move, said the 86-year-old Martinkovic, who's one of the oldest living Packers. I guess it's just been, I guess it's been good to us here. Martinkovic was pretty good in the Packers too. He played in defensive end for six years where he was a standout defensive end and played on the defensive line too. He earned Pro Bowl first each year from 53 to 55 and was inducted into the Packers Hall of Fame in 1974. I was pretty good on Tinker said. I could rush the passer a little bit, we'd get, we'd get $5 a sack back then, which wasn't too bad. There was quite a bit of holding back and then one time I hit a guy in the stomach and he keeled over. There wasn't, there wasn't enough officials back then to see everything. There were two major drawbacks though. First, the money wasn't very good. Second, color, second, neither were the Packers. Six seasons Martinkovic played Green Bay, the Packers went 25, 46, and 1. And never finished above 500. I didn't know what happened. Maybe the other guys were just better than that, Martinkovic said. It wasn't that poor guys weren't trying, we just didn't win a lot of games, which led to unhappy fans and coaching changes. Gene Ronzani, Ronzani first who the man who replaced Curly Lambeau, resigned late in the 1953 season. One in which Packers went two and nine. And even though the Packers went just 14 and 31 in Ronzani, Ronzani's four years, Martinkovic said he was more popular with the players. He's pretty good. Most of us liked him, Martinkovic said. <laughs> we always practiced at a baseball park, Joe near the city stadium. 
and Ronzani would always walk around that stadium and look to see if anyone was peeking and trying to watch our practice. It was pretty funny. You know, I hear so many times of these coaches doing this stuff, and they're so they're so they're so uh, they're so concentrating so much on that part. I don't think you think you're coaching their team. You know, and that's the thing. It's like just coach the players. You know. Yeah, it's, uh, it, it's, it is pretty funny. Martinkovic did think the hiring of Lyle Blackburn as Green Bay's next head coach was a laughing matter, though. But two never saw eye to eye, which was common between Blackburn and the other players. The Lizard, Martinkovic said, when Blackburn's name was brought up. He was sliding. He, he, talked, he talked with a forked tongue. He held, he held you something. Then a half hour later, he'd tell you something, and a half hour later he'd say, why did you do that and do it that way? He was like, it was, he was not like well. That's, consequently, if you told him off, he'd get rid of you. And I told him off a few times. Which is one of the reasons Tinkovic was dealt away himself. Or Tinkovic, was making $9,800 a year in 1956 and asked the Packers for a $1,200 raise. Instead, he was shipped to the New York Giants for a third-round draft pick. It worked out well for Green Bay as it used the pick on linebacker Ray Nitschke in 1958. Martin played one year with the Giants and then called it a career. I asked for a small raise, Martin said. Not like I was trying to pick their pockets. The money back then was nothing like today. And we weren't like those players nowadays. We were a little bit conservative. We couldn't go and spend any money because we didn't have any money to spend. When Martinkovic playing career ended, he took a job as a car salesman. Something he did until 1992 when he retired. Martinkovic says he remains a Packer fan, but probably not to the degree you expect from someone who played for the organization and remained, remained in town nearly five decades after his playing career ended. For the most part, they forget us. They forget about us. Martinkovic set up players from his era. I go once a, once a year because I'm in the Hall of Fame, so I go over there for every. I go over there for that every year. But those like, but guys like me that played all those years ago, they don't remember us anymore. And that's all I'm going to say. All right. I'll be ready for here shortly. Hey, okay, it's time. I'm gonna read from my page uh, 165 in this Packer Pride. Copyright of 2010, I believe, and uh, favorite Packers, Green Bay Gary Show, and favorite memories. And 2013, that's what I wanted to look that up. All right. 
Alright, well, let's get this down the road here. Mike P. McCoy. When you hear professional athletes exclaim, it's not about the money, it's almost always is. But if those words ever came from Mike P. McCoy, you have to believe him. McCoy, Packer defensive tackle from 70 to 76, played at a time when he could have made more money pursuing a law degree at Notre Dame than he could have playing football. Instead, after rolling a return to a law school following the 1973 season, he chose the game he truly loved. I'm really satisfied with what McCoy said of his playing days. I thought I played really well. I can't control, can't control what the media or the fans think. I walked away feeling satisfied and had a good time doing it. It's easy to see why. Before the 1970 draft, the Packers sent tailback Elijah Pitts, linebacker Leroy Caffey, and offensive lineman Bob Highland to the Chicago Bears for the number two overall pick. Then used that selection on McCoy. You know, these, these three that were traded for I mean, that's pretty much the last time you heard from them. I don't think they worked out at all. Well, I remember Leroy Caffey, he played. Bob Allen was on the team for about two years, and they peddled him off to New York. And, actually, yeah, he was on the team. Yeah. So, you know, I just, I love going back on trades and looking at it and saying, you know, that they, you can trade the number two choice, but you can have had a number two extremely good player from that. That 1970 draft which is a hell of a draft. So, that's a uh, way to look at it. Yeah, I can't help the Bears situation at all either, that's for sure. So what's Ballot who? McCoy became a permanent fixture on the Packer defensive line from day one. And while he never became the perennial all-pro that many envisions he would, McCoy had a solid career that also included two years with the Open. I later, more up, a little more than a year, with the New York Giants in a brief stop in Detroit. I played 11 years and felt I did fairly well, said McCoy, who made just $18,000 as a rookie and never made more than $55,000 as a Packer. Expert expectations were enormous, where people thought I'd get 30 sacks a year. There were years where I'd have seven, eight, nine, ten sacks, which would be great today, but it wasn't enough back then. So they got double teamed a lot on the run, and I was just never, I was just never pancaked in my life, so I'm proud of that. Our defensive, our deep, our defense was always pretty good. The offense just wasn't there. If you, I'm just going to explain to you, I think most of you guys would know this, but pancakes means he knocks he knocks the offensive lineman on his ass. That's the best way to uh, to say it. No other victories as the Packers just winning one season in McCoy's seven years in Green Bay, but it certainly wasn't McCoy's fault. At six feet five, two hundred eighty pounds, McCoy was a mountain of a man, and his work on and true force in the middle. Wisconsin 
The Wisconsin football writers boarded him the Teasel's Gravel Punt in 1970 when he won a starting job up front. McClellan had the Packers with six sacks in 1973, a time when that statistic wasn't officially kept by the league. In 1974, many, many began recognizing him as one of the league's elite defensive tackles. Between 72 and 74, the Packers largest 16.5 points per game with players such as McCoy, Fred Carr, and Ted Hendricks, and cornerback Willie Buchanan, making life difficult for opposing offenses. I always saw they had a heck of a defense in McCoy was a consensus All-American while at uh, Notre Dame. But there's always a lot of turmoil, primarily under Dan Devine, who came from the University of Missouri and coached the Packers from 71 to 74. Packers could have really easily been labeled team turmoil. Devine last lost the respect of the players, though, through coaching gimmicks and awful play personnel moves. When he put on the Missouri Highlight film, <laughs> that thing over real big, the Christ said of Divine. It was interesting to go into that locker room every day and see what was going to happen. I always thought we had a good sitting there, a good nucleus, and if things gelled, we could have been pretty good. But as it never as it never happened, I think a lot a bigger reason is that we didn't have a good team to their team unity. It was a very difficult time. Of course, then most players felt Divine was simply overmatched and eventually tuned him out. He's probably best suited for the college game, McCoy said. It was just a bad fit with him in 19 NFL. So, Divine, uh, 1972 playoff game against the Washington Redskins. I think he threw the ball like eight times or something like that, but he kept running John Bockington into the middle of the pile. And uh, there was no ingenuity to the offense. It was just run, run, run up the middle. And, uh, you know, and it, it's sad because it's just like, it's so stupid. You know, I don't get mad at it now, but when I look at it, I'm going, what the hell? People pay money to go watch those games. That's what I don't understand. And they, through their thinking, they put an inferior talent, inferior game together. And that's the thing is, you know, it's not as much as it is today in a skybox with $18 trillion. I don't know if it's that much or not, but anyways, all right. I just wanted to say that. By the end of the 1976 season, McCoy and the Packers no longer fit Bart Starr, who replaced Divine in 1975, was left with largely empty cover. The Packers were already short on talent, and Divine had traded five draft picks, including the number one selections to the Los Angeles Rams for the overhill quarterback John Adel. Two number ones and two number twos and a number six. I can't believe that. Unbelievable. Still unbelievable. The star traded McCoy to open for a personal draft choice that eventually became John Anderson and for a fourth round pick. 
and defensive lineman, Irving Math. I just thought Bart had no shot when he took over because he didn't have all those draft picks in McCoy, who was a teammate of Stars first two years in the league. He had to try and get something back, and the pieces of the puzzle weren't all there anyhow. So he was able to get a first play, and he did it. McCoy certainly experiencing more success with the Raiders than he would have in Green Bay competing in the 1977 AFC Championship game. After going to the Giants and Lions, his career ended in 1980 season when he suffered a devastating injury to his thigh muscle. <coughs> McCoy ended his he McCoy's career ended. He returned to Erie, Pennsylvania and he was finding success running his own business. But he gave that up to work for an organization called Champions for Life, in which he spoke to junior high school students throughout the world and tried to steer them in the right direction. From there, McCoy started Mike McCoy Ministries, and today he speaks primarily as, he speaks primarily in Catholic schools across America, abroad, about the importance of good decision-making, fighting their drug addictions and, and empowering youth. It's all over. It's quite, there's a lot of Mike McCoy on YouTube, too, that are speaking and, uh, and he's, he's in his ministries. So it's really good. And I respect him, no doubt about that. So anyway, my daughter came home one day and told me all the problems at our school and everything that was going on in our small community. And I just thought to myself, what can I do to make the world better? Basically, it's about, these, it's about choices. And it's an inspirational type of thing. It's been very rewarding. I get a lot of letters back and a lot of feedback. It's just nice to be making a difference. McCoy certainly did that in Green Bay. Well, that was good. I, uh, I respect McCoy. Yeah, he's, he's come a long ways from where he was when he was playing football. And, um, We all have to take a look at that stuff, you know, to realize what can we do to make a difference. Instead of, you know, instead of taking, we should be looking to make a difference in the, uh, in the world by giving, so. I do, and I say that with the power of love. Thanks.